Good morning and um, welcome to our quarterly podcast where we share with you our macroeconomic updates and the portfolio performance over the last three months. I'm Helen Watson, I'm the CEO of the UK Wealth Management Business and I'm joined as usual by Kevin Gardner, our Global Investment Strategist and Hugo Capel-Cure, our Co-Head of Portfolio Management. As always, at the end of the quarter, we sit down to think about what might be helpful to highlight to you, our clients. I'd like to begin by wishing you all a happy new year. I hope you all had a lovely break and are ready for the new year and decade. I'm sure you're all a bit sick of 2020 based puns, so I'll avoid asking Kevin for his 2020 vision for now. And actually looking back at the last year, but Kevin, also, I think the last decade, we thought it'd be quite interesting to sort of get your reflections Thanks, Helen. And actually, when it comes to looking backwards, funnily enough, I do have 2020 vision. With hindsight, uh, things are remarkably clear. And it was a strong quarter, a strong year, and indeed, as you say, a strong decade for investing. Now, some of the strength really was reflecting the depressed starting points in each case. If you think back to the start of last year, we were coming out of some very weak markets in late 2018. Think back to the start of the decade, we just had the global financial crisis. So depressed starting points have helped. Monetary policy too has been tremendously uh, helpful, but also overlooked amidst all that, the macro climate, the general economic tone for markets was actually pretty friendly. And what happened, and this often happens, is that both in the quarter, the year and the decade, markets effectively climbed what we might think of as a wall of worry. Uh, Some of the worries at the start of last year, we were looking at a slowdown in the global economy. The auto sector was facing a perfect storm. We had those trade uncertainties, a politically dysfunctional United States, Brexit, UK domestic politics, all those were issues. At the start of the decade, we'd been worrying about debt, secular stagnation, the prospect of eventual monetary normalization. But despite all of those worries for the year and for the decade, markets actually shrugged them off as often happens, as I say, and delivered pretty decent returns. In the event, growth continued through the year and the decade. It was the longest ever US expansion that we've seen. Unemployment fell to low levels in many big economies. Consumers didn't misbehave, neither did inflation, allowing monetary policy to stay pretty loose. If there was a turning point last year, though, and I think there was one, it wasn't so much in terms of the overall performance of markets, the macro context. It was maybe in terms of our awareness as investors of the environmental context. Uh, We may have personal sceptical views, perhaps about the way in which the protesters made their point last year. But there's no doubt that uh, the awareness of environmental concerns really has moved up. And I think it was a little bit of a watershed. And for us, uh, it often seems, certainly from a top-down perspective, um, that uh, whereas previously uh, environmental and socially, governmentally informed portfolios, arguably with the exception rather than the norm, I think last year we passed a turning point and maybe ESG informed portfolios now are the norm, not the exception. Uh, From our point of view as investment advisors, that doesn't necessarily alter the big picture because we think that such informed portfolios will still be very capable of delivering inflation beating returns. Partly because, again, from my top-down perspective, some of the sectors which are most exposed to environmental concerns are actually intrinsically not that attractive as investments to begin with. So if we tend to overlook them or ignore them, that doesn't necessarily hurt our overall investment performance. So that's my 2020 hindsight, as it were. If I can hazard a guess as to what we're anticipating looking forwards, 
Well, a trade deal now does look a little bit more likely. We're about to see it signed into uh, existence, at least the first phase. Brexit and British domestic politics have been clarified a little. And the Fed and the ECB, they turned more accommodative still even than they already were last year. And they're not going to change that anytime soon. So the macro data, if they haven't already done so, they're about to bottom out probably. So that all sounds reasonably positive, but because it sounds so positive, some of it must be in the price after the surge at the end of last year in particular. So for me, the short-term tactical risk, which I'm most aware of, I think is probably overconfidence for a change. Instead of that wall of worry being very visible at the moment, it's not as visible perhaps as it has been in the past. There are profits on the table to be taken, and maybe we'll see some U.S., or geopolitical event catalyze the taking of some of those uh, profits. But that said, looking beyond the short-term tactical story, on a longer-term strategic view from the strategy desk, we still feel that the mix of ongoing growth and modest inflation is likely to stay in place. It's a pretty benign one, and it's not likely to be affected significantly by geopolitical developments U.S. presidential impeachment or the U.S. presidential election, for that matter. So for us, balanced portfolios still do still have some long-term headroom. Bonds, for sure, are pretty expensive, especially if we're right and economies are not as fragile as people fear. But stock valuations remain unremarkable, even after the last decade's remarkable run in terms of returns. So returns have been remarkable, but valuations aren't effectively because most of those gains, most of those returns have been driven by operational cash flow, not by financial engineering. And looking beyond any near term tactical setback, then uh, we still feel that those balanced portfolios can deliver returns because stocks in particular don't look fiercely expensive and have the capacity to deliver inflation beating returns, even from today's starting point. So to conclude, it's not exactly a fresh view. I wish it was for the new decade and all that, but we're sticking to our guns. We think the glass remains half full. As I say, it's it's a little bit boring, perhaps, but at least we're being consistent. Thank you for that. Hugo, as we came into last year, so the beginning of 2019, markets looked pretty shaky because we'd had a difficult fourth quarter in 2018. And it looked like we were sort of coming into a period where perhaps rising interest rates were signalling the end of sort of the good times. I guess one of the questions really is, you know, were you surprised by how well markets performed last year? You're absolutely right. I mean, it, it seems like a distant memory now, but the fourth quarter of 2018 was a very turbulent one for equity markets. And um, at the time, a lot of market experts uh, were calling the end of the bull market and predicting a very rough uh, 2019. Now, we've always been very suspicious of both experts and predictions. And, and we didn't have a very strong top-down view of markets. However, we did notice that some of our core stockholdings have become substantially cheaper, and we used the stock market pullback as an opportunity to top up the weightings. And in terms of surprise, uh, yes, I'm, I've been a bit surprised by how fast markets have rebounded, and, and my gut instinct was that markets would muddle through to uh, pinch some of Kevin's favourite uh, terminology, and we'll probably do okay. I didn't suspect that we'd see such a vintage year, however. And as Kevin has mentioned, it's worth noting that part of 2019's gains came from the base of 2018 closing out at the lows for that year. So much of the initial performance came from retracing the underperformance of the last quarter. And so I guess you're not going to say anything other than good, but um, how did the portfolios perform last year? 
Well, you're absolutely right. I mean, given what I've just said, I think it would be very disappointing if I didn't say well. Uh, so yes, given the backdrop of the strong markets, portfolios had a very good year. Balanced portfolios were up strongly for both the fourth quarter and for the year, uh, with relative currency strength uh, really providing the differentiating feature. So against the trend of recent years, the pound was stronger uh, than the euro and the dollar in that order. So balanced portfolios for the quarter and for the year were up some 3.3 and 14.8 in sterling terms, uh, 4.6 and 17.2 in euro terms, and 6 and 18.5% in the dollar terms. And so that, I think, Hugo, puts us about 3% ahead of the ARC peer group on the, if we're looking at, say, sterling balance, just as an example. Yes, that's right. And it is based on our estimates for uh, fourth quarter performance. And the other currency portfolios, the euros and the dollars, are looking to be ahead by a similar amount, if not a bit better. So we could be out on that in terms of estimates. But I think one of the interesting things always for clients is how's the performance split between the two different sides of the portfolio, i.e. the return assets versus the diversifiers. And were there any surprises in that? Uh, Not many surprises, really. So the return assets performed very well. And the diversifying assets, which include the portfolio protection, were a drag. This is exactly what we would expect and and generally hope for. So taking the latter first, the uh, diversifiers, the protection came into its own towards the end of 2018 as markets tumbled. And that reminded us why having some insurance can make a big difference. However, when the market bounced coming into January, these gains unwound. And for the year, the protection cost 1.7%, which is rather more than uh, normal. It was a good year for the trend followers in the portfolios, however, with strong trends in both equities and bond markets. And so these cut the overall cost of the diversifiers from 17 to 1.2%. I mean, really, 2019 was all about equities, right? So what were the highlights? Yes, so the equities held in portfolios were up just over 30% last year. So around 4% ahead of the MSCI index of global equities. Uh, And this outperformance came largely in the final quarter, with stocks and funds collectively 2.5% ahead of the broader market. There's a big UK election Brexit flavour to Q4 performance, with the best performing stock being Ryanair, up nearly 40%. And the best performing fund is the UK specialist fund Phoenix, which was up uh, more than 16%. Both of these are positions we've added to over the course of 2019. So it was, it was very pleasing to see the market acknowledge the latent value uh, that uh, we could see. And I know I've been boring everybody about on previous podcasts. Consistent, Hugo, not boring. Yes, and, and uh, nice to see a bounce from them. Um, aside from the UK axis, uh, the ratings agencies, so S&P and Moody's, uh, contributed uh, 3.3% to overall portfolio performance. Uh, and the cable companies, especially uh, Cable One, a uh, further 2.8%. So things have been doing well. Have we made any changes? Yes, we've made a few changes. So we've added a new holding, Ashted. So Ashted is in the plant hire business, so it hires out the likes of excavators, aerial work platforms and generators uh, and so on, originally to the construction industry, but now to a, a wide variety of customers. And its main business is Sunbelt, Uh, in the US. So in the States, they're the number two player after United Rentals. They have a 9% market share against United's 14. 
But interestingly, those two have nearly the same market share as the next 100 players are put together. And it's this size plus the density of their branch network which gives them you know, tremendous advantages both in terms of equipment buying and also for utilising the plant that they buy. That translates into great margins and uh, returns. So we're excited by uh, Ashtid and actually we think we can see a lot more consolidation in that industry uh, and a good runway there. We added to the Fox position following some additional research that's given us more conviction into the broadcast networks part of that business. And we just felt that the shares were too cheap uh, on around eight times earnings, which given our expectations for earnings growth you know, and a potential re-rating of the shares, uh, gives us a forward return estimate of more than 20%, which is one of the best in the portfolio. Those shares are up around 15% since then, which is encouraging because Fox hadn't been performing very well. So it's encouraging that the shares are now rallying. And then on the equity side, we also sold uh, some of the Ryanair holding at the end of October at around 12 euros. And this was really just selling out some of the stock that we bought uh, in August last year at 9 euros. So Ryanair is a volatile stock, but this, this, this has given us a number of opportunities to both add and reduce the holding uh, depending on the uh, market's mood. The final thing we did, we've added uh, another couple of put options on the S&P 500, the US index and the Eurostox um, index in Europe. And as with previous purchases, we've taken advantage of strong markets and a decline in volatility to protect, we think, at a decent level and, in our view, at a, at a reasonable cost. So I always ask you what you're excited about. You've already told us you're excited about Ashstead. Um, is that what you're most excited about or is there, are there other things? Well, Ashstead is very exciting and it's a very glamorous industry. You know, I always talk about the glamorous industries that we invest in, but to plant her, I think, is very glamorous. <laughs> you're still... the only person who does, you know that. <laughs> <laughs> I was very excited and, 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 frankly, rather nervous about the UK market going into the election. Uh, but there's probably more to shoot for here, I think, and valuations still look cheap. Uh, perhaps we'll finally see from some performance from a Lloyds Bank. Other than that, we have some interesting ideas, both on the stock front and funds in the pipeline. And we're learning more about some industries, markets, which could be long-term winners. I'm going to be in India in February. And we're looking at a, a whole number of um, Indian fund managers then. So there's plenty in the pipeline. So given that we had a very strong 2019, I think going into 2020, on the basis that we don't have 2020 vision, how, how protected are we in the portfolios? So the protection is really at a similar level to where it was a year ago. So having added those uh, two uh, put options just before the end of the year, um, when we model it, we tend to model in terms of what would happen to the portfolio if we saw an instant shock, such as what we saw in October 1987 with the market falling about 30%. And in that kind of scenario, the protection we have, the put options would offset the fall in about 12% of the portfolio, which is a similar level to previous updates. If we include the Acura fund, which also contains a lot of options, this would be around a quarter of the a quarter of the portfolio. So we're obviously we feel like the portfolio is well positioned, but that's something that we're you know I think that protection piece is always an interesting one because when you've had the sort of decade that we've had, there's always a slight question: well, why do we have the protection? But I think. There are so many reasons for us. I mean, maybe it's worth just touching a little bit on it's not just having the protection in because 
we're saying we think markets might fall at some point. But just can you just mm. touch on there that? There are a couple bit? of other angles to it. One of the angles is actually the cost of the protection. Mm -hmm. So after a decade of rising markets, yeah. the actual cost of protection has dropped enormously. What's happened is that the sellers of the portfolio protection have done very well. The buyers have consistently lost money. And so given that experience, the sellers have become disencouraged by that. And you've, um, and you've seen the, the volatility and the cost of protection drops. So it's, it's become an interesting value option in, in, in its own right. And on average, it's cost us about 0.8% a year? Yes. So, so we've looked to budget between half and 1% of portfolios, and it's coming at about 008 The other point is that things like put options become most valuable at a time when other assets become cheap. So to have something which we can then sell, liquidate into cash, at a time when our, when our favourite equity holdings are on sale is, a, is, is extremely attractive. I, I guess it's a bit like house insurance, isn't it? You don't regret owning house insurance just because your house didn't burn down. You slept more safely as a result of that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think as well, it's important for us, you know, I'm a great one for always trying to manage expectations. So obviously, after the sort of year that we've had, as I think Hugo alluded to, it's sort of a bit of a vintage year. You know, we would expect that returns probably are a bit more muted. But I think, you know, as clients, perhaps we can rest assured that we will continue to be on top of this. And I think understanding that we have got some protection built in is, is quite an important point. I think saying that the protection costs 0.8% per annum, I don't think we can make that judgment. So if, if I go back to, to January last year, if we hadn't had the protection in place, then it's, it's quite possible that we wouldn't have been on the front foot and, and picked up uh, stocks in October, November, December 2018. No, it definitely gives us opportunities as well. Thank you all for listening. If anyone has any questions, could you please let your client advisor know and we'll put those to Kevin and Hugo. In the meantime, can I wish you all uh, the very best for a healthy and happy 2020. Thank you. Please note, this audio content is produced by Rothschild & Co for information purposes only and any reliance on the information provided in it is done at your own risk. This content should only be used or reproduced with the express written permission of Rothschild & Co. The podcast is not provided as a solicitation, recommendation or invitation to buy or sell any security, fund or any other banking or investment product. Nothing in this podcast constitutes advice of any sort and no responsibility is accepted in relation to the fairness or accuracy of it. The value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up and you may not recover the amount of your original investment. Past performance should not be taken as a guide to future performance.